0: Chapter Twenty Eight of Elsie Venner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter Twenty Eight, Part One The Secret is Whispered. The reverend chauncey fairweather's congregation was not large but select the lines of social cleavage run through religious creeds as if they were of a piece with position and fortune it is expected of persons with a certain breeding in some parts of new england that they shall be either episcopalians or unitarians the mansion-house gentry of rockland were pretty fairly divided between the little chapel with the stained window and the trained rector and the meeting-house where the reverend mr fairweather officiated it was in the latter that dudley venner worshipped when he attended service anywhere which depended very much on the caprice of elsie he saw plainly enough that a generous and liberally cultivated nature might find a refuge and congenial souls in either of these two persuasions but he objected to some points of the formal creed of the older church and especially to the mechanism which renders it hard to get free from its outworn and offensive formulae remembering how archbishop tillotson wished in vain that it could be well rid of the athanasian creed this and the fact that the meeting-house was nearer than the chapel determined him when the new rector was not quite up to his mark in education was appointed to take a pew in the liberal worshippers edifice elsie was very uncertain in her feeling about going to church in summer she rather loved to stroll over the mountain on sundays there was even a story that she had one of the caves before mentioned fitted up as an oratory and that she had her own wild way of worshipping the god whom she sought in the dark chasms of the dreaded cliffs mere fables doubtless but they showed the common belief that elsie with all her strange and dangerous elements of character had yet strong religious feeling mingled with them the hymn-book which dick had found in his midnight invasion of her chamber opened to favorite hymns especially some of the methodist and quietest character many had noticed that certain tunes as sung by the choir seemed to impress her deeply and some said that at such times her whole expression would change and her stormy look would soften so as to remind them of her poor sweet mother on the sunday morning after the talk recorded in the last chapter elsie made herself ready to go to meeting she was dressed much as usual excepting that she wore a thick veil turned aside but ready to conceal her features it was natural enough that she should not wish to be looked in the face by curious persons who would be staring to see what effect the occurrence of the past week had had on her spirits her father attended her willingly and they took their seats in the pew somewhat to the surprise of many who had hardly expected to see them after so humiliating a family development as the attempted crime of their kinsmen had just been furnishing for the astonishment of the public the reverend mr fairweather was now in his coldest mood he had passed through the period of feverish excitement which marks a change of religious opinion at first when he had began to doubt his own theological positions he had defended them against himself with more ingenuity and interest perhaps than he could have done against another because men rarely take the trouble to understand anybody's difficulties in a question but their own after this as he began to draw off from different points of his old belief the cautious disentangling of himself from one mesh after another gave sharpness to his intellect And the tremulous eagerness with which he seized upon the doctrine which piece by piece under various pretexts and with various disguises he was appropriating gave interest and something like passion to his words but when he had gradually accustomed his people to his new phraseology and was really adjusting his sermons and his service to disguise his thoughts he lost at once all his intellectual acuteness, and all his spiritual fervor. Elsie sat quietly through the first part of the service, which was conducted in the cold, mechanical way to be expected. Her face was hidden by her veil, but her father knew her state of feeling as well by her movements and attitudes as by the expression of her features. The hymn had been sung, the short prayer offered, the Bible read, And the long prayer was about to begin this was the time at which the notes of any who were in affliction from loss of friends the sick who were doubtful of recovery those who had cause to be grateful for preservation of life or other signal blessing were wont to be read just then it was that dudley venner noticed that his daughter was trembling a thing so rare so unaccountable indeed under the circumstances that he watched her closely and began to fear that some nervous paroxysm or other malady might have just begun to show itself in this way upon her the minister had in his pocket two notes one in the handwriting of deacon soper was from a member of this congregation returning thanks for his preservation through a season of great peril supposed to be the exposure which he had shared with others when standing in the circle around dick venner the other was the anonymous one in a female hand which he had received the evening before he forgot them both his thoughts were altogether too much taken up with more important matters he prayed through all the frozen petitions of his expurgated form of supplication and not a single heart was soothed or lifted or reminded that its sorrows were struggling their way up to heaven borne on the breath from a human soul that was warm with love the people sat down as if relieved when the dreary prayer was finished elsie alone remained standing until her father touched her then she sat down lifted her veil and looked at him with a blank sad look as if she had suffered some pain or wrong but could not give any name or expression to her vague trouble she did not tremble any longer but remained ominously still as if she had been frozen where she sat can a man love his own soul too well who on the whole constitute the nobler class of human beings those who have lived mainly to make sure of their own personal welfare in another and future condition of existence or they who have worked with all their might for their race for their country for the advancement of the kingdom of god and left all personal arrangements concerning themselves to the sole charge of him who made them and is responsible to himself for their safe keeping is an anchorite who has worn the stone floor of his cell into basins with his knees bent in prayer more acceptable than the soldier who gives his life for the maintenance of any sacred right or truth without thinking what will specially become of him in a world where there are two or three million colonists a month from this one planet to be cared for these are grave questions which must suggest themselves to those who know that there are many profoundly selfish persons who are sincerely devout and perpetually occupied with their own future while there are others who are perfectly ready to sacrifice themselves for any worthy object in this world but are really too little occupied with their exclusive personality to think so much as many do about what is to become of them in another the reverend Chauncey fairweather did not most certainly belong to this latter class There are several kinds of believers whose history we find among the early converts to Christianity. There was the magistrate, whose social position was such that he preferred a private interview in the evening with the teacher to following him with the street crowd. He had seen extraordinary facts which had satisfied him that the young Galilean had a divine commission, but still he cross-questioned the teacher himself. HE WAS NOT READY TO ACCEPT STATEMENTS WITHOUT EXPLANATION. THAT WAS THE RIGHT KIND OF MAN. SEE HOW HE STOOD UP FOR THE LEGAL RIGHTS OF HIS MASTER WHEN THE PEOPLE WERE FOR LAYING HANDS ON HIM. AND AGAIN THERE WAS THE GOVERNMENT OFFICIAL, ENTRUSTED WITH PUBLIC MONEY, WHICH IN THOSE DAYS IMPLIED THAT HE WAS SUPPOSED TO BE HONEST. A SINGLE LOOK OF THAT HEAVENLY COUNTENANCE AND TWO WORDS OF GENTLE COMMAND WERE ENOUGH FOR HIM. Neither of these men, the early disciple nor the evangelist, seems to have been thinking primarily about his own personal safety. But now look at the poor, miserable turnkey whose occupation shows what he was like to be, and who had just been thrusting the two respectable strangers, taken from the hands of a mob, covered with stripes and stripped of clothing, into the inner prison, and making their feet fast in the stocks. His thought, in the moment of terror, is for himself, first suicide, then what he shall do, not to save his household, not to fulfill his duty to his office, not to repair the outrage he has been committing, but to secure his own personal safety. Truly, character shows itself as much in a man's way of becoming a Christian as in any other. Elsie sat, statue-like, through the sermon. It would not be fair to the reader to give an abstract of that. When a man who has been bred to free thought and free speech suddenly finds himself stepping about, like a dancer amidst his eggs, among the old addled majority votes which he must not tread upon, he is a spectacle for men and angels. Submission to intellectual precedent and authority does very well for those who have been bred to it, we know that the underground courses of their minds are laid in the roman cement of tradition and that stately and splendid structures may be reared on such a foundation but to see one laying a platform over heretical quicksands thirty or forty or fifty years deep and then beginning to build upon it is a sorry sight a new convert from the reformed to the ancient faith may be very strong in the arms but he will always have weak legs and shaky knees he may use his hands well and hit hard with his fists but he will never stand on his legs in the way the man does who inherits his belief the services were over at last and dudley venner and his daughter walked home together in silence he always respected her moods and saw clearly enough that some inward trouble was weighing upon her there was nothing to be said in such cases for elsie could never talk of her griefs an hour or a day or a week of brooding with perhaps a sudden flash of violence this was the way in which the impressions which make other women weep and tell their griefs by word or letter showed their effects in her mind and acts she wandered off up into the remoter parts of the mountain that day after their return no one saw just where she went indeed no one knew its forest recesses and rocky fastnesses as she did she was gone until late at night and when old sophy who had watched for her bound up her long hair for her sleep it was damp with the cold dews the old black woman looked at her without speaking but questioning her with every feature as to the sorrow that was weighing on her suddenly she turned to old sophie you want to know what there is troubling me she said nobody loves me i cannot love anybody what is love sophie it's what poor old sophie's got for her elsie the old woman answered tell me darlin don't you love somebody don't you love you know oh tell me darling. don't you love to see the gentleman that keeps up at the school where you go "'They say he's the pootiest gentleman that was ever in the town here. "'Don't be afraid of poor old Sophie, darling. "'She loved a man once. See here. "'Oh, I've showed you this often enough.' "'She took from her pocket a half of one of the old Spanish silver coins, "'such as were current in the earlier part of the century. "'The other half of it had been lying in the deep sea-sand "'for more than fifty years. Elsie looked her in the face.' but did not answer in words. What strange intelligence was that which passed between them through the diamond eyes and the little beady black ones? What subtle intercommunication penetrating so much deeper than articulate speech? This was the nearest approach to sympathetic relations that Elsie ever had—a kind of dumb intercourse of feeling, such as one sees in the eyes of brute mothers looking on their young but subtle as it was it was narrow and individual whereas an emotion which can shape itself in language opens the gate for itself into the great community of human affections for every word we speak is the metal of a dead thought or feeling stuck in the dye of some human experience worn smooth by innumerable contacts and always transferred warm from one to another by words we share the common consciousness of the race which has shaped itself in these symbols by music we reach those special states of consciousness which being without form cannot be shaped with the mosaics of the vocabulary the language of the eyes runs deeper into the personal nature but it is purely individual and perishes in the expression if we consider them all as growing out of the consciousness as their root language is the leaf music is the flower but when the eyes meet and search each other it is the uncovering of the blanched stem through which the whole life runs but which has never taken color or form from the sunlight for three days elsie did not return to the school much of the time she was among the woods and rocks. The season was now beginning to wan, and the forest to put on its autumnal glory. The dreamy haze was beginning to soften the landscape, and the last delicious days of the year were lending their attraction to the scenery of the mountain. It was not very singular that Elsie should be lingering in her old haunts, from which the change of season must soon drive her but old sophy saw clearly enough that some internal conflict was going on and knew very well that it must have its own way and work itself out as it best could as much as looks could tell elsie had told her she had said in words to be sure that she could not love something warped and thwarted the emotion which would have been love in another no doubt but that such an emotion was striving with her against all malign influences which interfered with it the old woman had a perfect certainty in her own mind everybody who has observed the working of emotions in persons of various temperaments knows well enough that they have periods of incubation which differ with the individual and with the particular cause and degree of excitement yet evidently go through a strictly self-limited series of evolutions at the end of which their result an act of violence a paroxysm of tears a gradual subsidence into repose or whatever it may be declares itself like the last stage of an attack of fever and ague no one can observe children without noticing that there is a personal equation to use the astronomer's language in their tempers so that one sulks an hour over an offence which makes another a fury for five minutes and leaves him or her an angel when it is over at the end of three days elsie braided her long glossy black hair and shot a golden arrow through it she dressed herself with more than usual care and came down in the morning superb in her stormy beauty the brooding paroxysm was over or at least her passion had changed its phase her father saw it with great relief he had always many fears for her in her hours and days of gloom but for reasons before assigned had felt that she must be trusted to herself without appealing to actual restraint or any other supervision than such as old sophy could exercise without offence she went off at the accustomed hour to the school all the girls had their eyes on her none so keen as these young misses to know an inward movement by an outward sign of adornment if they have not as many signals as the ships that sail the great seas there is not an end of ribbon or a turn of a ringlet which is not a hieroglyphic with a hidden meaning to these little cruisers over the ocean of sentiment the girls all looked at elsie with a new thought for she was more sumptuously arrayed than perhaps ever before at the school and they said to themselves that she had come meaning to draw the young master's eyes upon her that was it what else could it be the beautiful cold girl with the diamond eyes meant to dazzle the handsome young gentleman he would be afraid to love her it couldn't be true that which some people had said in the village she wasn't the kind of young lady to make mr langdon happy those dark people are never safe so one of the young blondes said to herself elsie was not literary enough for such a scholar so thought miss charlotte ann wood the young poetess she couldn't have a good temper with those scowling eyebrows this was the opinion of several broad-faced smiling girls who thought each in her own snug little mental sanctum that if etc etc she could make him so happy elsie had none of this still wicked light in her eyes that morning she looked gentle but dreamy played with her books did not trouble herself with any of the exercises which in itself was not very remarkable as she was always allowed under some pretext or other to have her own way the school hours were over at length the girls went out but she lingered to the last she then came up to mr bernard with a book in her hand as if to ask a question will you walk towards my home with me to-day she said in a very low voice little more than a whisper mr bernard was startled by the request put in such a way he had a presentiment of some painful scene or other but there was nothing to be done but to assure her that it would give him great pleasure So they walked along together on their way toward the dudley mansion i have no friend elsie said all at once nothing loves me but one old woman i cannot love anybody they tell me there is something in my eyes that draws people to me and makes them faint look into them will you she turned her face toward him it was very pale and the diamond eyes were glittering with a film "'such as beneath other lids would have rounded into a tear. "'Beautiful eyes, Elsie,' he said, "'sometimes very piercing, but soft now "'and looking as if there were something beneath them "'that friendship might draw out. "'I am your friend, Elsie. "'Tell me what I can do to render your life happier.' "'Love me,' said Elsie Venner. "'What shall a man do when a woman makes such a demand "'involving such an avowal?' it was the tenderest cruelest humblest moment of mr bernard's life he turned pale he trembled almost as if he had been a woman listening to her lover's declaration elsie he said presently i so long to be of some use to you to have your confidence and sympathy that i must not let you say or do anything to put us in false relations i do love you elsie as a suffering sister with sorrows of her own as one whom i would save at the risk of my happiness and life as one who needs a true friend more than any of all the young girls i have known more than this you would not ask me to say you have been through excitement and trouble lately and it has made you feel such a need more than ever give me your hand dear elsie and trust me that i will be as true a friend to you as if we were children of the same mother elsie gave him her hand mechanically it seemed to him that a cold aura shot from it along his arm and chilled the blood running through his heart he pressed it gently looked at her with a face full of grave kindness and sad interest then softly relinquished it it was all over with poor elsie They walked almost in silence the rest of the way. Mr. Bernard left her at the gate of the mansion-house, and returned with sad forebodings. Elsie went at once to her own room, and did not come from it at the usual hours. At last old Sophie began to be alarmed about her, went to her apartment, and, finding the door unlocked, entered cautiously. She found Elsie lying on her bed, her brows strongly contracted, her eyes dull her whole look that of great suffering her first thought was that she had been doing herself a harm by some deadly means or other but elsie saw her fear and reassured her no she said there is nothing wrong such as you are thinking of i am not dying you may send for the doctor perhaps he can take the pain from my head that is all i want him to do there is no use in the pain that i know of If he can stop it, let him. End of chapter 28, part 1